the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email, pastorscott at kkla.com. Over the weekend, a bishop in England, Church of England, made a statement that's gone around the world. Archbishop of York suggested that the opening words to the Lord's Prayer recited by Christians for 2,000 years is problematic because of its patriarchal association. So apparently you're not allowed to say, Our Father. Or if you say, Our Father, it's problematic because, and here's what somebody said about it that the idea is that when we call God Father, or we call God He, when we use the the masculine uh, pronoun for the Lord, that somehow we're suggesting that the God that we are worshiping is a little bit, that, that men, here's what they're saying, that men are more in the image of God than women are made in the image of God, which I think nobody has thought of ever, to be honest with you. Have you, maybe I'm wrong, like, do you hear that? I think I think that, you know, whenever we talk about father, if you had a difficult relationship with your father or if you had a bad father or maybe, you know, on Father's Day in churches, we make this, you know, the statement acknowledging that sometimes, you know, people don't have a great father or they have a difficult relationship with their dad or there's something that is difficult with a day like that. And I understand that. But here is the scriptures that have always referred to God as a he and Jesus clearly says, when you pray, you pray like this, our Father. And when Jesus prayed, he prayed to his Father in heaven. Is Jesus somehow not being pastoral when he says this? Like, is, he, is Jesus somehow not recognizing that future generations would have trouble with this idea because maybe they had a difficult dad? Or this even goes a little further, the whole idea of uh, the patriarchy— um, and all of that gets into critical theory and other stuff today. And it leads me to, to this, this question. What are things, and this is, this is a huge deal for Christians, I think for us as individuals and as a church, what are the things that we do sometimes to conform to society or the wishes of you know, some group of society versus staying true to what the Bible actually says or to... Uh, the way things really are. You know what I mean is what are some things that we do that, or maybe things that you feel pressure to change that should not be changed? I think that there are things that you can change in the sense of you're not changing what the scriptures say and you're not changing the truth of something, but you can change a worship style and you can change the way we gather. You have to change it based on the country you're in or based on laws that get passed. I mean, in this country, if they ever decide that nonprofit corporations 
uh, can't be churches or that churches shouldn't be nonprofit corporations or whatever. And that's that's the way it's structured in this country. And the, the reason for that gets into actually the separation of church and state and uh, has to do with taxation and other other stuff. So there's there's a, a long discussion of that. But what happens if some people get their wish and churches can't uh, incorporate that way and churches have to be either for-profit corporations, meaning that they would pay taxes on any money they receive, or churches can't exist at all as companies, and so you're not you're not going to be in a building probably then, uh, or maybe you'd be in a rented space, but church life would change is all I'm getting at, is that church life would change, the way we do church would change, and that would be fine. You know, scripturally speaking, there's nobody who can hurt the church. Some people think that's great if that were to happen, you know, these days. But what are some other things? You know, are we, you know, can you actually change the words, our father? I think not. I think you cannot. And the reason is it's just problematic to change it in any other way, because the basis for your prayers is that you're praying to your father in heaven who has adopted you into his family. Well, what about saying our mother? Can you say that? Uh, there's no place in Scripture where where God is addressed that way. Uh, you certainly can't say it or our father and mother. It's a it's an interesting thing here that uh, it leads to because I think what this Archbishop is doing is just giving into the uh, you know sort of the the leftist stuff today uh, from critical theory. Critical theory, by the way, all the different critical theories. They they bring up questions that people have that are legitimate, but the solutions all are intertwined and ultimately into putting everybody into an oppressor or oppressed category. And once you do that, then everybody's the oppressor of somebody. So you might be oppressed in one hand, but you're oppressing somebody else in the other. And it all breaks down. When you get into the argument about patriarchy, um, it's really about a male-dominated society and gender roles and you know, it eventually moves away from legitimate questions about the objectification or sexualization of women, which we should uh, not be doing, which is wrong. Um, But then it turns, it eventually moves into the place where we're having conversations today where we don't even know what a woman is, right? That's, it's the path that these, this line of thinking goes, that as soon as you take out truth, as soon as you take out the idea that truth can be objective, as soon as you make truth subjective, meaning that you can have your truth and I can have my truth and they don't have to be on the same plane. Well, that doesn't make any sense because you have to. And the truth is, is that there are men and there are women. But what are some things, and you think about this in the church, it's a big problem for the church because I think if you if you think about it today, a lot of the reasons that churches are struggling, they struggle when they go too far into the, country, the, the culture uh, where the sails get trimmed in a way where you actually, you don't just change something that you're doing in order to relate, but instead you change something that you believe in order to relate. Um, And what I mean by that is a first level, you know, top thing that you believe. You can change lots of things that you can believe that are sort of not important, you know, doctrines, things that that maybe different denominations disagree with that are not the gospel, not about the Trinity, not about the person of God or the work of salvation or those kinds of things. But maybe you have a belief about, you know, some churches don't believe you should have uh, music at all um, in church. Some churches will have a, you know, different kinds of beliefs like that. You can change those things and it doesn't change Christianity. It doesn't change your faith. 
But when you change the Scripture, let's say, to say that the Scripture doesn't say what you think it says, or it, it does say that, but we don't have to obey it, that's actually the bigger problem. When you know what the Scripture says, but and you know what it means, and you agree with what it means, but you feel like you can change it. That's what many churches and denominations have done, say, in areas of Christian sexuality, where it's it's not that that uh, some churches have said, hey, we think that uh, sex outside of marriage or homosexual sex or some other kind of sex is okay, or that the Bible says it's okay. It's that we believe that the Bible says it's wrong, but we think it's okay anyway. Like, there's There's a difference between those two things. There is a difference when you actually say, hey, I think that the Bible says this, but we don't have to follow it. And I'm saying that because uh, it upsets the culture. And it turns our faith into a business of religion, where it turns us into, we just want more people in the pews, or we just want to be liked. I mean, don't you think that's a, a a struggle sometimes that we have is that Jesus said that people will hate you because of me and nobody is, you know, we wish that wasn't true, but it is true. Um, do we bend what we think about Jesus so that people would hate us less? Do we bend what is true about the scriptures and ultimately what it says about the condition of human beings and how to be saved? I think we do sometimes. There's a history of that. What do you think? 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. When you get into what this uh, preacher did or this uh, bishop is, what he is in the Church of England, it it's a much bigger thing than just wondering, you know, is somebody have to deal with their issues with their own earthly dad in order to call God a father? That's a question you can work through. But is... Here's what uh, this another uh, Reverend Christina Rees said about this. She said that the big question is, do we really believe that God believes male human beings bear his image more fully and accurately than women? Uh, I don't think people say that. I don't think anybody thinks that. When you say, our Father, who art in heaven, and you start the Lord's Prayer, or you refer to God as a he, I don't... I. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've just always been frustrated with that. But I don't think people are. I think people know that. I think when people refer, you know, the interesting thing is, is males, you know, is kind of the default language for most things, right? We call, we call a ship a she, and there's some reasons for that. There's some language reasons for that. But, you know, when we, when we don't know something, we'll, we'll often say he, right? It's sort of the, when we don't mean male necessarily, you know, if you are looking at an animal and you don't really know because you can't tell or an insect or something, you can't tell what they are. You, you say he, you know, he's going to do this. Oh, let's go get that spider before he leaves the house. You haven't really checked the gender. You know what I mean? And um, what do you think about this? 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Where do you feel pressure to compromise the truth? Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven is the number. Pastor Scott Show. The it reminds me of one of my favorite biblical stories that you probably haven't heard of, and so this has been on my mind as I'm thinking about so many things in the church for Christians. You know, one of the things that I think is critical for us in this world, this world today, where we have social issues that I think have taken on a different turn than we've ever seen. And where I think what we are, we, 
we are living in a post-Christian world. I think it's fair to say that. I think that it's fair to say that in uh, relationship to who we are as Christians in the country. And it's not to say that doesn't turn around, right? But there's there's no longer an assumption of Christianity being uh, true or the religion of most Americans. There is now a great freedom, in fact, to say that you're not a Christian or not any religion. That's what they call in the surveys. You know, people more and more often are putting none, not saying that they're atheists, but they're saying, ah, I'm really not any any kind of religious person. There's a new freedom for that. It used to be that people would put their church membership on their resumes. Like that was important. It was something that really has nothing to do with your Christian faith, actually. But the idea that you were in church, that you were a faithful Sunday morning church goer, that you were a member of some church somewhere, said something important about your character to employers, and you would put it on your resume. How many of you have your church membership on your resume. I bet you don't. I don't. I mean, I've been a pastor. I'm obviously in the church, right? So but so it doesn't really apply, I guess, in, in a case like, like mine, because obviously I'm, I'm working for a church and now I'm hosting the Pastor Scott Show. You know, something clear is there. But what is, uh, what is uh, something today that you're feeling that pressure to walk away from your faith? Or are you feeling that? Or maybe just something you've noticed in general? 888-528-2557. Joe in Covina, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. All right, Joe, I'm going to put you on hold and come back to you because I don't hear you. Uh, So stay there. 888-528-2557 is the number. Um, I'm going to try you again here, Joe. Joe, you there? Thank you. Hi, go ahead, Joe. Yeah. First of all, I'm not walking away from my faith. I'm walking stronger towards it. I'm trying to. Yeah, good for you. Anyway, back to what you were saying. In the Bible, doesn't it say we created man in our image? God created man in our image? It says male, male and female, he created them. Yes, in our image. Yes. In our image. He didn't say, well, I'm creating this, change your sex, and we'll call it that. No. <laughs> There's no if ands, or buts. You're either male or you're female. He made you this way. You want to be a rummy and change your way? More power to you, but don't expect me to call you by that. Yeah. Do you you're feel, born a male, I'll call you a male. Do you feel like uh, people get confused, though, whenever people are speaking about God? I think most people, when they speak about God, they refer to God as a he. I mean, even people who don't believe in God probably in just course of conversation say, you know, he, you know, I don't believe in a God who, and then they, they might say he, right? Does that confuse people? No, it's because they don't want to be, they don't want, the way that a young woman told me is, how do you know it's a male? Well, he created man in our image, created women in our image. He didn't, he created not she or it. It's well, is God himself male or female in the same way that we would see male and female? Um, I would say he's more you know, of a physical spirit, yeah. but in the shape and the form of a man. Not so saying you, the genitalia, not saying none of that, the form and the shape of a man. But Spirit-wise, not, because he's spirit, he's not physical like you and I. So it's different. Like, for sure, when Jesus was here, he was in the shape of a man. Exactly. Right. Um, But 
He was your first Adam. Right. But do you feel like that's is a, a confusing thing? Should we change the scripture where it says our father to say, you know, our spiritual, you know, parent? Okay, let me, let me ask you this. Anywhere in the Bible does it say later on in life, you could change what I said. No. It says do not change anything of, do not change any of my words. Right. So that's the thing that I think people, you know, I'm just personally, I appreciate your call, Joe, on that. I think people get, uh, are creating issues with things like this that actually people understand. It's sort of like uh, a while ago they changed the, you can't say manhole cover anymore because somehow that's too gender specific since there might be women who, you know, work in the sewers and might have to go down there. So it's become a sewer cover. And I think, uh, on one hand, I get that, but on another hand, I think no. I think man is like in that case, it's generic. It doesn't mean male. It doesn't mean women can't have that job. Uh, so I don't think people really get confused. All through the scripture, you're going to find God as a male, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, that's the way people talk. Number one, that's the way. Uh, if you had God as a female then you would be confusing God probably with other female gods throughout Greek and Roman and uh, early pagan history uh, because all the female gods always became sex goddesses and other stuff and all the, the other myths and things like that. You know, But I think it's really critical, that, and Joe was saying this, uh, Genesis one twenty six. then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. So God created the human creature as male and female, both created in the image of God. I think people get that. I, and I, I think that when we have this idea that we have to change the way we talk or even change Scripture— you know, to conform to what really is a political movement so that we will be liked. I mean, isn't that the thing, really, so that we will be liked? So in in churches, when churches change doctrine, and when, when a church decides, and, and some Christian denominations have done this, they've decided that uh, the miracles aren't, you know, historically, the miracles aren't real. You know, 100 years ago, the issue was the virgin birth can't be the virgin birth uh, because that doesn't really happen. We don't really, you know, the way we understand science today, uh, that's not really a thing. And then the church fought about that. And some churches decided, well, you know, uh, this isn't real and, and miracles aren't real. And other churches said, well, you're, you've got to be kidding. If, if you believe that Jesus rose from the grave, then the rest of the miracles really aren't that complicated. If you believe that he physically came up, and see, and some churches went the other way, and they said, well, we're not sure if we believe that. And now you have a division in church. See, and I think today that what you have in church division is one side of the Christian church that believes that the Bible is true, that whatever is written in the Scriptures, the way the original authors meant it to be, whatever that is, that that's true, that we believe that that's God's revealing himself to us through those writers, through, you know, 40 different writers or so over 1500 years that God is revealing himself to them and that whatever it was that was revealed, you know, we might miss something in the translation, but whatever is ultimately revealed is true and it can't be changed. And so when churches have changed it, I think churches change it because they think they're going to get more people. So when churches decide, for example, that uh, marriage doesn't have to be between a man and a woman, uh, 
the reasoning for that is often so that they think more people will come because the culture will like us better. And that has never worked, by the way. That's why those denominations, the old denominations are hemorrhaging people. They're probably not going to exist. What I mean by the old ones, I mean like the the corporate old, there's seven of them, okay? Old school, uh, Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, uh, uh, Disciples of Christ. There's different ones. I think there's seven, called them the Seven Sisters. All of them are going down in membership. And the big reason is, is they rejected what was true about the scriptures at some point. And people know that. And so Christians are leaving. Christians have said, you know, well, we're going to go non-denominational or we're going to take, you know, the name uh, uh, Baptist and start uh, 400 different smaller Baptist denominations. Or we're going to be a different kind of Presbyterian. Or we're going to be a different kind of Lutheran. And they, they do that. And the reason, you know, sometimes we divide over doctrines, over what we think about the mode of baptism should be, or what we think of different things like that. But the biggest thing I think today is the idea that we are changing, uh, that we have changed, that churches have changed. Some churches have changed what we actually believe who God is, that we actually change the relationship between God and uh, his church. That's one, of the, that's one of the problematic things with changing marriage is that you're not changing, when you do that in the church, you're not changing just a cultural definition. You're actually changing. When you make that change, you're making a change in what the scriptures teach about the relationship of Christ and the church, of bride and bridegroom. You're actually changing the character of and the purpose of salvation and relationship with, with Christ. 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. When we come back, uh, I just want to share with you an old biblical passage that addresses this. And I'm still asking this question, you know, do you feel pressure to compromise your faith? Or is there something that, you know, it's okay to to change? And and there's a, there's a place for that, right? Jesus sat down and had meals and hung out with tax collectors and that was opposed at the time by the religious people. They thought Jesus was sinning by doing that. Clearly, he's not. Maybe there's a different approach that we can have that you can do that doesn't actually change what is believed. 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Do you take your cues from Scripture as far as where your hope comes from or from the culture? Do you try to find it somewhere in the culture? That's what I'm talking about here. And I think it's a big issue. We're talking about how a uh, bishop from the Church of England said we can't say our father because of, it's a two-gendered term, so they created some kind of commission on gendered language in the Scripture. And uh, that's kind of a ridiculous thing. But the, the thing is, is that there's a lot of that kind of thing that sometimes goes on where we put too much pressure on, we take our cues from what's happening in culture or our hope, we put our hope in culture. I mean, how many of you maybe have your hope in however the upcoming election turns out? I think it's important. I think you should be involved. I think you should vote. All of those things, we'll talk about it a lot in the show. But at the end of the day, how much of our hope is based on what happens in Washington, D.C. versus what uh, Jesus has already told us is going to happen? 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. So a lot of times today, you know, the church or Christians or church leaders, they take their cues from culture rather than 
the Scripture. Some of that's because we don't know the Scripture. Most people haven't read most of, your, most of the Bible, right? Most Christians haven't read most of the Bible, and I think that's why sometimes we get uncomfortable when things are unraveling in the culture. But I want to share something. This was just to, You could do a Bible study later if you want to. There's a, a passage in the book of Second Kings, and it gets skipped a lot, but people miss its importance. This, this passage is actually the where Israel falls. This is actually the passage where, for political reasons, the, the priests and religiously Israel changes who God is, and they change how to approach God, and they change a lot of things about the faith simply to make sure that somebody likes them that somebody who is not a part of them will treat them fairly or treat them the way they think they ought to be be treated and will not kill them is ultimately the idea. There's an old guy, uh, Tiglath-Pileser is his name. History, uh, in the Bible you read Tiglath-Pileser. It's a hyphenated name. I don't know if it's some married name or however that happened, but he's Tiglath-Pileser. He's actually Tiglath-Pileser third. If you just look him up in Assyrian history, you're going to find him, and he was a brutal guy. All right, he was a very scary leader in the Assyrian Empire, and he wiped out one culture after another. And in Second Kings chapter 16, he is just about to attack Israel, and that's going on. And, and if you're new to the Bible or you haven't really studied the Bible, you know, the Bible is full of historical places and historical people, and you can go and you can figure out that these things actually work well together. There have been lots of discoveries of who this king is and why Israel would have been afraid of him. And uh, you can read it in uh, all kinds of history. Anyway, there's a king. His name is Ahaz. He's 20 years old, and he's superstitious, the king of Israel. And what he'd like to do is go to pagan cultures and try things out. So, you know, he likes psychics and tarot card readers and yoga and whatever it is they were doing. And he would try to integrate it into the uh, Hebrew faith. And when you read Second Kings, there's just one battle after battle and strategy after strategy. And uh, so what's happening is he's getting surrounded um, by King uh, Tiglath-Pileser. And one of the things that the Israeli kings were not supposed to do in the Old Testament, if I can just give you a little bit of understanding here, they were not supposed to make alliances with foreign kings. They were not supposed to uh, make these kinds of deals with foreign kings. And to put this in a better context for you, you know, when we have Christmas time and Isaiah chapter 7, you have the famous verse, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The interesting thing about that is the context of Isaiah saying that is to King Ahaz. And the context is that Ahaz is about to make deals. He's about to make a deal with this Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser, that says, uh, don't attack us. And God is saying, hey, you don't have to worry about Tiglath Pileser. I want you to trust me. And he sent Isaiah to him to say, hey, don't do this. Do not give up your hope in, in God, the Lord your God. Trust me. And Ahaz says no. And Ahaz t- tells uh, Isaiah, no, I'm not going to do that. And he gets all spiritual about it. He says, oh, I'm not going to put the Lord my God to the test. Well, then Isaiah says, you know what? Uh, the Lord's still going to keep his covenant and send the ultimate savior to you, who will be uh, the virgin will give conceive and give birth to a son, we'll call him Emmanuel. That's uh, the context of that. But Ahaz goes ahead and he makes this agreement with Tiglath-Pileser. And he says, I am in 2 Kings 16, verse 7, says, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who are attacking me. These are other enemies. So Israel is surrounded, okay, by enemies. So he makes a deal with Tiglath-Pileser, who was stronger 
And uh, he says, I'll, we'll make you our, we will give you our country, essentially, if you prevent these other kings from killing us. And Tiglath Pileser did it. And he wiped out those other guys and killed the other kings. Uh, and Israel was never to turn to the pagan kings for help, but he does it. And it pays off in the short run. He is out of danger in the short run. But the problem is now he owes something to his new master, uh, Tiglath Pileser. And so he goes. He goes to Damascus and meets this guy. And he goes into the, the pagan temples there and he sees uh, – and hang with me. You're going to see how this is relevant here in just a second. He sees the way that they had these pagan altars. And the altars were fancy, much fancier than the altar in uh, Solomon's temple. So he calls up Uriah, a guy who's the high priest, and says, hey, they got cooler altars than we've got, and I want you to design an altar based on this one, and sketches out an altar and sends it to him. I don't know if he sent a fax or an email or whatever they did back then, and uh, wants him to do it. And Uriah does it. Uriah, the priest, builds this altar in accordance with what uh, King A has said. And what you need to understand here is that when this happens, God wanted faith. He wanted altars built a certain way to trust him. And now what what Ahaz is doing is saying, hey, we can add something to it. We don't have to do it exactly the way God wants. And he changed it. And by doing that, he changed the word of God so that it would be more comfortable for pagans who thought it would be better. See, by changing the altar, he changed the way you approach God, that you don't approach God, you know, if you make it, you know, that you don't have to approach God through the cross. Instead, maybe there's some other way to do it, a fancier way, a way that doesn't have to do with with blood and sacrifice and those kinds of things, because that's more comfortable to people. People don't like to sacrifice. So he does that, and then he makes a whole bunch of other changes in the temple. He changes what the offerings are. He changes how to do it. The funny part is that he actually moves God's altar to the corner, and uh, whenever he got in real trouble, he went over there to pray. You know, that's like <laughs> he, he remembers who God really is, and so whenever he had a real question, a real problem, then suddenly he prays to God. Do you ever do that in your life? Do you ever, uh, you know, resort to God finally when you've tried every other spiritual avenue of different faiths or different ideas, different philosophies, and then you resort to God? Well, that's what this king does. And he changes all of this kind of stuff when you read it. And he also changes some interesting things. He changes all the symbols in the temple, the, the Old Testament symbols in the temple. One of them was this, it was called the Brass Sea or Bronze Sea. And it was basically, it held 11,000 gallons of water and it was used by the priest to bathe in, uh, usually before he did the sacrifices. And it was a symbolic gesture of cleansing in order to look holy before the Lord. It was a precursor of baptism is what it was. It was mounted on these 12 bronze oxen and there were three facing in each direction, north, south, east, and west. And the symbol was that in Israel's God, there is water cleansing and forgiveness. And these 12 oxen, they represented the 12 tribes, but because they were pointed in the different directions, they were there to show that the message of God was to be taken to all of the world and let them know of the great salvation and forgiveness of Israel's God. And then there were these portable sinks that were made of brass that were on wheels like chariots and you can move them. And that was the idea that God's cleansing could move, that God's forgiveness would come to where you are. When you get into the symbolic nature of the temple and the way God designed it in the Old Testament, it tells you a lot about his character, about what he's going to ultimately do through Christ. And it even shows you, you know, what the purpose of the church is. Well, Ahaz removed all of that. 
He took the brass sea off those bulls and put them in the closet or something. He took the wheels off the sink so they can't move. Why would he do that? And the reason is right there, out of deference to Tiglath Pileser. And it's because this guy is going to come to town. You follow me? This pagan king who could kill him is going to come to town and say, Ahaz, what do these symbols mean in your temple? And the correct answer is, why Tiglath Pileser? Because your God does not exist. But sin does. You're a sinner, and you, Tiglath Pileser, will die and perish in hell unless you come to the God of Israel and repent in faith. See, that's an embarrassing message, and Tiglath Pileser probably would have cut his head off. That's probably what would have happened. So he takes away all of these things and a bunch of symbols. And he does it, it says specifically, so because Tiglath Pileser would like him. And he commands the priest, a guy named Uriah or Urijah, the priest, to do all of these things. When you read this story, you might miss something that is significant here. See, in doing these things, Ahaz reduces the value of God's word. That he says, well, God's word says that the temple should look like this, that the symbol should be this, that it means these things. But he says, you know what, those things make me uncomfortable with the pagan king, so I'm going to change it. And I'm going to remove the idea that says that our faith is movable. I'm going to remove the idea that says that the other gods are false. I'm going to remove the idea that I have to approach God on this kind of altar in this way with these offerings for these purposes, because I don't want to get embarrassed or disliked by the other culture. And he orders the priest to make all those changes. And verse 16, Uriah the priest did just this, uh, just did all the things that King Ahaz ordered. And what you find out in the Old Testament is that's the fall of the nation. It's right there, right there in that verse. Because here's the thing, my friends, something for us to think about is this. Who is the bad guy in the story I just told you? Is it Ahaz? Is it Tiglath Pileser? No. The bad guy is the priest, Uriah the priest. See, he did just everything that King Ahaz has ordered. King Ahaz said, do all the stuff. Uriah had one job. His job as the priest is to say no. His job was to say, I'm sorry, King Ahaz, but we worship the Lord our God, Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've heard of him. He commanded us to build this thing this way, and he's told us what these things symbolize. This is our purpose. This is our purpose as a nation. This is the things that we actually, this is who we are, and no, sir, I'm not going to change it. That was his job. Instead, he changed it. And so the bad guy in the story, interestingly enough, is the priest. So here's the, here's the point. Who are the priests today? That's Old Testament, that story. And when you come to the New Testament, who are the priests today? You know, who is the royal priesthood in the new covenant now that Jesus sits forever as the high priest? How are we doing? Because we're the, we're the priesthood. If you're a Christian, the priest is not your pastor. Everybody is the priest. You, you might call your pastor the priest or the bishop or whatever because it's a title, but who are the priests today? It's us. And we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to hold true to what the scriptures actually say. And when we feel pressure to change what the scriptures actually say, we really have to ask, am I feeling pressure to change the way I preach the scriptures, which is, you know, maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe there are better ways to say who God is. Maybe maybe I need to sit and listen to pagans today who have objections to the Lord or to Jesus. And uh, maybe I need to sit down and listen to people because there's fake news on all sides and I want to represent the truth and all that. That's all fine. 
But when the pressure comes to say, you need to change your Bible to say something that's more appealing according to a different political philosophy of the day, the answer is no. The answer is no, even if it means extra bad stuff for you in the temporary world. See, the worst thing, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is people won't like you. And maybe in some other countries and maybe in this country today, you'll actually get persecuted. And maybe in some places, and it happens around the world today, you might actually lose your life because you refuse to change the truth about God. But then you're going to go meet Jesus and be with him forever. And it's not that bad. In fact, it's actually pretty good. Can you think about that? that we have to humbly approach Scripture in this way and to know your Bibles? How well do you know your Bible? Do you know it well enough to do that, to study the Scripture, to understand what these things are? I think that there is a lot for us to realize in our crumbling society for us to do. i got to take a break. When we come back, I'll take your calls. And this is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Pastor Scott Show will be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. Anna in Simi Valley, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Pastor Scott. You always seem to choose the most difficult of subjects. I'm actually (laughs) British. Uh And and as soon as you mentioned the Bishop of York, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I know what's coming. Uh, because if you actually look, I think his steeple or something was um, set on fire with the lightning when he said something similar to this. So I think he probably oh, was it? The <laughs> and uh, for people listening, uh, the Bishop of York suggested uh, over the weekend that, uh, and it made global news that the calling God Father, such as in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, is problematic for the Christian faith. And that we should, uh, and he put together a commission on gender uh, terms in the Bible. And, uh, you know, to change God being a father, I think, changes who he is. So that's what I've been talking about. Go ahead, uh, Anna. What's your, your thought? Right. So um, I want to ask everybody out there what they think is the first part of the armor of God. I've asked questions to a lot of people, and they don't know. And it's something that we should be aware of, because if you know what the first part of the armor of God, it holds all the rest of the armor on, and we're supposed to go out in the world with that armor of God. That's and right. The first item is the belt of truth, and it holds everything else together. You can't have it without. And that. it holds everything else together. And if you don't, if that doesn't convince you, what about that Jesus was full of grace and truth? And what about the fact that if we're willing to change this, what else are we willing to change? We will change our faith. It won't even be recognizable because there'll be so much deceit attached to it and lies. They won't even know it. And I think that happened to Israel in the past, and I think that's happening to Gentiles because we're not standing up. We're not tolerating, you know, we should be sort of saying we're not going to tolerate these lies. And I'm going to read a passage out of Scripture because it kind of concerns the Gentiles. I think it's an interesting chapter. 
It's actually in uh, Jeremiah 8, 16, verse 19. It says, Lord, my strength and my stronghold. That's how we stay with God. We pray about this. My refuge in a time of distress, the nations will come to you from the ends of the earth, and they will say, our father inherited only lies, worthless idols of no benefit at all. I'm not going any further than that because we want to read it in context. He is actually warning us that just as Israel fell into a belief of lies that continued to grow, and I love the fact you mentioned uh, King Ahaz, Ahaz, yeah. And I think, was it Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz? Yeah, Hezekiah comes later, and Hezekiah has a good victory, ultimately, because he decides to to trust God. Because he trusts in God, and he doesn't listen to the lies that um, the Assyrian person is telling, which which actually later he dies because of his lies, because of his pride. So I just I just think people should read the Bible a little bit deeper and say, okay, what's the consequence of these lies? Israel lost their kingdom. That was the consequence of the lies. Yeah, they lost We're everything. Our country because of those lies. Yeah. And so, what are you going to let go? You know, are you going to not stand up? I mean, this is why I called because I'm really standing up to this. I'm not in my head. I'm not accepting any of it. God set patents for us to keep. Just like he did with the tabernacle, the way it had to be built so we understood him better. If we go away from those patterns, we don't understand God anymore. It's that serious. And that's the thing is that we we change him. That's the point I'm trying to make. And I realize it's complicated for some people, right? But it's really not when you think about it. That if you change, if you change what God says, then ultimately you're changing who he is, which means you now have a different God at the end of the day. Right. And right. it's, you it, won't know him. You and, wake up one morning and you won't know him. That's right. And, you know, a very scary passage is when Jesus, you know, when people say to Jesus, uh, Jesus tells us about this. People are going to say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, these are religious people. These are church going, uh, doing the work of the Lord. They think people who got it wrong. And somewhere it's because their their desire was really for themselves and not for the Lord. So they had no problem changing things. Yeah, and yeah. Le- and leaders are teaching us wrong because he's a leader at the church in England. So. Yeah, and that's why we need to know our Bibles, uh, Anna. And that's why it's important. Yeah. And that to and thank you for calling, Anna. I appreciate it. Uh, that's why it's important that we realize that we have this role as priest. It doesn't mean that you're an elder, that you're in authority, but there's a time where you challenge those in authority if they teach the wrong thing. You know, if they decide to change what the faith actually is. And that's what's going on there. This is why, friends, we've got to know our Bible. I mean, I read a passage to you that that if you ever do your Bible in a year or something, you probably breeze through it. But that passage, Second Kings sixteen, is the end of Israel. It's it's the it's where things turn, and it's simply because they refuse to hold on to the basics of what salvation is, and it's not worth it. And today, you know, how easy is it for us to? give up our faith because there is social pressure to do something. That's what they were facing then. And what what do you get? Uh, you get nothing. I think some famous pastor said, if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim for the earth, you're going to lose heaven and earth. And that's basically it. 888-528-2557. Ted, City of Angels, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thanks so much for giving me a voice. 
and uh, it's really elementary, this subject. I mean, you know, Jesus said, Abba, Father. And if you're going to say you're a Christian or you're teaching Christianity, why would you go against what Jesus said? He didn't say mother. He said father, Abba. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And to, it's ludicrous to change all this. And we were created in his image. And who did he create first? Adam. So, you know, and then he created the woman to uh, complete us so we could... Um, carry on. Well, and the thing is, is he's not making the change, this bishop. He's not suggesting we change it because he thinks it's true or right. He's saying we change it because somebody's feelings might get hurt if we don't. Well, you know what I mean? And it's not even a change that is driven by a search for what's true. It's basically to say, probably what I'm teaching doesn't really matter, so therefore we can just change it. Well, I mean, my, my aunt uh, was almost a nun, and then she married my Lutheran uh, uncle. And uh, she said, and a lot of women struggled, I think I talked with you probably over a couple of years now, so I've been talking to you. And uh, she talked with women that were struggling, whether he was a man or a woman, and she said point blank, um, all I know is when we do the Lord's Prayer, it starts with our Father. And how could we have the Immaculate Conception when we know that Mother Mary was earthbound, and how did she get pregnant? They can't even explain it. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense otherwise. Ted, i got to go. We're almost at the break. Thanks for calling the Pastor Scott Show. You know, and the idea of the God being our Father, and I realize there are people who struggle with dads and things like that, but this is the perfect Father. And the idea is this, that the reason Jesus prays to the Father, the reason he's the Father, is because you're welcomed into the family of God. It's not this that you become a Christian and you are a servant of the king. I mean, you are, but it's your dad. It's your actual spiritual father, and you're part of the family. And it matters greatly that we understand that, because that's the basis of the relationship of love that is perfect from the creator of the universe. All right, when we come back, we're going to uh, switch Switch gears. It is the all-star game this week in baseball. We're not going to talk about that. Instead, what I want to know is, who is your biblical all-star? Who's your favorite Bible character? Or maybe a person in real life, not a famous person, but a person in real life who would be your Christian all-star. 888-528-2557. Pastor Scott Show will be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 